Welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spiritual Wanderlust podcast. I'm Kelly Deutsch, and today we have joining us Victoria Lures. Now, Victoria is an eco-spiritual director, and she's the co-founder of the Wild Church Network, which is dedicated to integrating nature and spirituality, which is a lot of what she does and what she's about. Victoria feels most alive when collaborating with mystery and kindred spirits to create opportunities for people to remember themselves back into intimate, sacred relationship with the rest of the living world. Today, I'm excited to welcome Victoria to talk about what this wild church movement is all about and perhaps some of her own experience uh, in loving and uh, being in relationship with nature. So Victoria, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Kelly. Yeah. I wanted to start with a question from your own book. Um, I would like to ask for you to share a little bit about the land who raised you. Mm, that's such a good question, isn't it? Love it. Um, yeah, the book, it's called Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred. And um, I opened the book with a story from my, from my teenage years. But I realized that even every, we moved a lot. We moved every, uh, I've moved a lot. I'm about to move. It'll be my 47th move. And um, yeah, a lot. And, um, but everywhere we would move, I would find a little sort of hidden place for me, whether it was in the yard or in the neighborhood in a, you know, an empty lot, usually lived in suburb kinds of areas. Um, but I was always fine, sort of a little hidden place. And so it was that, that idea of hidden place that was always, I didn't have the words for it as far as uh, that, I, that I give it now, that I was able to recognize when I wrote the book, like, oh my gosh, this started way before I start to tell my story. Hmm. Of that, the, that hidden place was always sacred for me. Hmm. And so um, it's like I was learning about that contemplative life before I had any words or any, uh, even, even the words of God or any kind of spiritual words whatsoever. Um, but the land who raised me was, you know, sometimes it was even a little, uh, a little river going down the, uh, um, what's it called on the end of a street, like the little gully on the, oh, mm -hmm. that's not the word for it. <laughs> like the, yes. Oh my God. Drains. <laughs> The drain. Yeah. So even just that from people's, from people's watering their lawn and I would build little, you know, mud dams or that kind of thing. So those are the little places. They were small little hidden places that, that raised me. And I would always find a place like that. And the place that I write about in the beginning of the book is um, the place that I had in my middle school and high school years in Thousand Oaks, California. And 
it took I knew exactly how to get there you know it took a while to get to this particular place there's something about particularity that's important it was a particular place that I always went back to and it overlooked like the this little canyon that was that was behind our neighborhood and I I created a sacred space I had uh, gone to YMCA camps and they have this symbol of a a circle around a square and a triangle in the middle and um, I created one of those and uh, and then in the middle of the triangle was a cross and in the middle would be me I, I replaced the cross with me in the middle of this um, symbol and uh, you know so every time I went there I'd sort of fix the the stones and this and the, and the sticks mm. that created this this symbolic you know it, it was meaningful to me and uh, but I would just sit there. I would just be there. And I didn't bring a journal. I just would, that was my place to sit and escape. So that hillside, the sagebrush, uh, the deer that came to visit me once, just once, um, you know, the birds, the, just that place um, and those places and all the, wherever I lived. Mm. I found that that question is something most people can answer. Yes, they've never thought about it. Yeah, and I was I was just struck by how um, those things that stir in us as children, which we don't really even make much of, mm -hmm. it sometimes takes an entire lifetime to come back around. You know, because we have to go through all the intellectual, and I need these specific practices, and we do all these things that we think are very mature and grown up, and then eventually, sometimes we make it back to that simple stance of just being in nature and letting mm -hmm. the deer or the trees speak to us. And for me, it was, I'd, I'd get off the school bus. I grew up in the plains of South Dakota and yeah. I'd get off the school bus, you know, surrounded by wheat fields and just like lie in the grass and kind of soak up the sky. <laughs> and, yes. you know, I never thought much of it as a kid, but you know, once I got to college and we started learning about like the sacramental imagination and the rhythm of life with nature and all the things I was like, oh, I did that. <laughs> like, I didn't hey. even know what I had. That's why I like to use the word remember, because mm. I think it comes natural to humans and little ones when we're little or when our, when we have little ones, it comes natural and it's not anything you have to teach. It's something we have to learn mm. from our own selves when we were little and from the little people in our lives, yes. because I think it's just part of being human and is, is, is that ease of living within a larger sense of what I now call the larger sense of beloved community. Mm -hmm. But as as a child, we just sort of naturally, intuitively know that we belong. Mm -hmm. One thing, I, one of the reasons why I love speaking about nature, especially when we're talking about the spiritual life, is um, how easily we transition just from being present in it to recognizing the capital P presence in it. Mm, yes. And I, I sometimes have said that... Um, my favorite shortcut to contemplation is wonder. And I'm curious what role wonder has played in your own spirituality or even in the wild church movement. Big time, big time. I love that. Wonder, I think, is at the core of it. And I think that's the part that as children, we just live in a state of wonder all the time. And, and that's the tragedy of our culture, the kind of de-wonderment of mm. our souls, you know. Um, but it is actually at the center of wild church for most wild churches, if not all of them. 
is this sense of, or not even a sense of, it is <clears throat> a practice of mm -hmm. wandering with an A in wonder with an O. And so it's going from the center circle, and a lot of a lot of wild churches meet in a circle outside under a tree or something. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of wild churches have an order of service that's similar to what I do, which is 45 minutes to an hour of it is solo wandering. Hmm. And in that wandering, you're wondering, you know, like you're you're just open in in that sense of awe with intentionality, like even crossing a threshold of leaving this circle when you take that step and it's very intentional when you take this step you're opening up your imagination mm -hmm. on purpose you're opening up that sense of awe and wonder and uh, you know praise every being that you encounter and mm -hmm. introduce yourself and uh, be open to the reality of Christ that is within all things you know, like we can say that, but to actually live it and practice it as a spiritual practice, I think really is at the core of the of the wild church movement. There's a lot more, you know, that can flow from that. But I would I would go out on a limb and say that's really at one of the things at the core of the mm. movement is mm -hmm. reconnecting, you know, remembering, which I love that the, the word religion means that it means legios you know ligament the the thing that connects reconnect there's something about being human that always needs religion like it's just part of being human and there must we must know at some deep place that we need ways to stay to reconnect because we tend to disconnect as part of the the flow like the 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 fall is built in it's not you know that story is so important because it's part of it's part of it's part of the journey, mm. um, and so the reconnecting. Like I also love the, the labyrinth. You know, you come, you go straight to the center, <laughs> you get a glimpse, and then you spend a whole lifetime, you know, wandering around. But right before you go back to the to actually enter the center, you come back to the beginning, and you're back at the beginning again. Going, oh, that's interesting. Look how much has changed after this lifetime. And here I am back at the beginning. Or like you even said, you know, like as you go back and, and recognize, I did this, I did this contemplative practice when I was three, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I love, I love the, the etymology of that word religion and the too. root of it, because to reconnect... That is something, I mean, so many of us are like, I can't do religion, like, I'm out, you know, <laughs> like, maybe spirituality, I might believe in something, but right. what religion has come to stand for in all of its rigidity, instead of that it's something that reconnects us to ourselves, to this world and universe that we're in, to the divine. Yeah. Um, to one another, to our community. Yeah, I mean, and in that sense. It's a practice of reconnecting. Yeah. I was just going to say, in that sense, every human person has to find some sort of religion. You know, like you said, right. it's part of being human. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I lived in Kansas for a while, and I went to a KU basketball game, which I didn't know that that was like a big deal. But if anybody <laughs> listening knows <laughs> like college basketball, KU takes their basketball very seriously. And I remember going to this game and growing up Catholic, their game struck me as a liturgy, but I felt like a Protestant mm. at a Catholic mass because I didn't know like when to stand, when to sit, <laughs> when you cheer, what thing, like, do people have like a little like missile that they're following along? Like, 
I didn't know, but it was so interesting, you know, because people would just like give themselves so fully to this, mm -hmm. this liturgy, this game, this thing that brought people together. And I'm like, that's, that's the human longing, right? <laughs> we, we so need to good. reconnect somehow. And I think people are rejecting religion because it's not holding up to what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's become, it's become known as almost the opposite of that. You know, I call it in my book, Disligion, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, disconnection, us versus them, you're in or yeah. you're out, you know, and, um, and yeah, that's, it's the exact opposite of what it's meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I wanted to take a minute for people who are unfamiliar with kind of the wild church movement to ask how you would describe what this both the Church of the Wild, like in your book, but also this wider movement, what it's all about, because it's it's more than just like we're taking church outside, like mm -hmm. we're going to have our services in the park or in, you know, nature somewhere. So how is it more than that? What? Yeah. How would you describe it? Yeah. And that exact thing happened, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when it was starting to open up a little and churches could meet outside, we would be contacted by churches saying, you know, where do you plug in the you know, the, the amplifier and where do you put all the, the benches? And we would say like, that's not what this is. Like mm -hmm. you can do that, but it's not wild how we've been experiencing wild church. And um, so church of the wild is church of the wild. And so mm -hmm. it's that, that preposition of versus in mm -hmm. like, yes, the location is outside of the, you know, the, the village. Um, <clears throat> underneath an oak tree or in a park, um, but it's really church of the wild. It's listening, it's it's developing and practicing practices, spiritual practices together that reconnect us to the sacred that is that is already present hmm. in in the larger, like I say, larger beloved community beyond our own species, even that that you know if you read any of the the psalms they talk about let the earth be glad you know there's a lot of there's a lot of psalms about there's actually it's all throughout our our ancient stories is this deep intimate connection to the rest of the living world as sacred and yet we sort of like metaphorize it or i did when i was a pastor and yeah why do you think that is yeah there's i think there's a whole history around it um but but what we're what we're trying to do is create these practices to reconnect us, mm. not just to well, and, and on one level to the sacred who is present in all things, mm. to Christ who is present in all things, and and that means all things, not not just other other humans, <laughs> um, but it, but also it reconnects us to place as mm. as sacred, reconnects us to place as a place of a larger place of belonging a larger sense of um, kin, kindred connection and responsibility and, um, and community. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, like my, my journey was not just from within the church. I was a pastor for many years and left for seven years, completely left going to church, left being a pastor. And in those seven years, I started a, a nonprofit with my son uh, around youth in the climate crisis, because there's so many young people who are growing up knowing that this is a crisis, knowing that their generations are the ones that are going to suffer the most mm -hmm. and who want to do something about it. So uh, entering into that in those seven years and then coming back to the church in a, in a way that 
that integrated both of these both of these um, parts of my life that that are important, mm. but we're missing each other. And so, mm. in the environmental movement, you know, you could you could talk about the spiritual uh, communities or uh, you know getting the religious communities involved in the advocacy programs. <laughs> And, and if you're in the church, you can talk about, oh, you know, it's a beautiful, the, the environment is a beautiful environment for our spiritual work that we're doing inside of this building or inside of our little human uh, construct. Mm. Um, but it, or, we'll, or we'll, you know, churches over the last 20 years have been doing a lot of uh, reducing their carbon footprint and those yeah. kind of sustainability acts, which are good. And I, and I hope they continue. Um, but what hasn't that I hadn't experienced is just an integration of our spirituality in the context of and in relationship with the rest of the living world. And that and that severance obviously impacts the planet. You know, by desacralizing this planet, we are able to abuse it. In order to abuse or or colonize or take over or uh, oppress another, we need to have them, we need to desacralize them. We need to have them uh, be othered. And um, in order to even do that work, uh, that sort of evil work of um, abuse, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the General Secretariat said last week when the new IPCC report came out, um, he was just like, this is, this is, this is abuse. This is arson of our own planet. And it really is that, that intense, but you have to desacralize the other in order to do it. You, you, you don't, you're not going to set your mother on fire. You know, yeah. you're going to have to, you know, dehumanize your mother and, and create a story of toxicity or whatever you want to do in order to uh, treat her poorly. And so that's what we've done systematically as, as an empire, as empire nations for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, actually. And so that restoring that severance is, is what this, the core of the wild church movement is, is that this, this severance not only obviously um, has led to the, the destruction of our planet, it's also really impacted our own spirituality our own sense of the sacred, our own connection with, um, with God, our own connection with the, with the divine. And so it's not like, um, you know, doing church out in the wild makes it really pretty. And, you know, like we do it every Easter and it's nice yeah. to watch the sunrise. Um, it is nice, but it's the, the, the purpose in it is that we're restoring something we're remembering ourselves back into this larger story that is a sacred story and that we are needed it's like the you know the creation groaning like the creation groans waiting for us to restore relationship and and live up to our part of of the evolutionary reality of life you know it's mm -hmm. not even a religious concept it's a life concept it's a life, not even concept. <laughs> it's a life reality. It's the way life works. And so when we, when we take ourselves out or pretend to take ourselves out of that interconnected whole that, that functions through this mycelial, you know, sort of like not just physical connection where the air we breathe obviously is, 
is because of this tree and the oceans that what we what we exhale they inhale and give us what we need and we we the food system is all by one being sacrificing their life for another being to live like it's just a very interconnected uh, ecological system that we are part of but when we pretend that we're not part of it and we act as if our our part of it is the only part that matters and we treat the rest of the parts just as resources to serve us we're breaking a sacred bond mm. and it's it's um it's a serious severance <laughs> that needs to be repented of that needs to be grieved deeply grieved and 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 an open in an open-hearted way say how can i be a part of of restoring this um, broken conversation as um, Thomas Berry talks about. Yeah. I was thinking um, about all the things that we need to unlearn in order to be a part of, (laughs) to really do this reconnecting work, to remember, as you say. Um, And I like how you pointed out in your book that even just calling the world like natural resources as if they're there for us <laughs> to use right. and exploit and or you know like property yeah right as if it's all here explicitly for us right uh, that just seems i mean it's like hubris almost you know just like the audacity Absolutely. of us yes. to think you know like <laughs> even if you were to think theologically that humans are the crown of creation which might have a question mark by it but even if you were to think that <laughs> yeah it's like how we are still so clearly part of this of this web of this cycle, as you mentioned. And I'm curious if there are other things that occur to you that we need to unlearn in order oh, to gosh. <laughs> reconnect. <laughs> That's such a huge, there's a huge list, so huge that all the keys are hitting my brain at the same time. Sure. Um, let me think. Well, I mean, even just taking that, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer talks about pronouns, hmm. you know, that, that we don't have uh, pronouns for those in the natural world. They're generally it. Mm-hmm. So just changing, she, she proposes in her language to calling um, others that are not human key instead of he or she is hmm. K-I. And plural of that is kin, which is cool. And so that's, that's in her Ashinabi language. Those are the words that they, those are the pronouns that they use. Mm-hmm. And it's so something as simple as that, like our uh, Robert McFarlane and many others talk about how language doesn't only sort of like describe reality, it, it creates reality. Mm-hmm. And so just by changing that little, that little bit of unlearning, um, like for example, I, uh, I sort of learned this when a friend of mine, an eco-theologian, um, Lisa Dayhill, we were, we were canoeing once in the LA river of all places, which is like a, a hilarious place to try to canoe because it's concrete. Um, but, but it's sort of like being rewilded a bit and there were heron there and, hmm. and lots of other birds and a mama duck with her babies. And anyway, and I saw this heron and I said, Oh, look at him going there. You know, so I had, I had moved from, you know, the it uh, pronoun to, my default was him. She's like, how do you know it's him? And I, I was like, well, I don't know. Why am I saying him? You know, what is that? And so I intentionally call all others she until I know hmm. if, that they're a he. And, and so that just that intentionality make, 
creates an I thou possibility. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, even just with a, you know, a little spider, it just sort of creates an I-thou relationship with this little spider to say, oh, look, she's in the corner. Like just, just that shifts and it's an unlearning of a habitual way of speaking within a culture that is, that is created because we have created these relationships uh, to desacralize the other. And so to, uh, to, to re-sacralize um, this this beautiful living uh, sacrament of of life that all beings are just just something that simple mm. can can be pretty powerful. Yeah, it's interesting because it it's almost like we need to re-sacralize our vision because it's like the world mm. is already sacred. We just need to exactly. wake up to the fact that it's our interpret it's our uh, habitual uh, worldview. Yeah, which is what worldview is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much. It's, um, yeah, crazy how much objectifying others, whether it is the planet or other people, how much easier, as you were mentioning before, like, we have to desacralize first before we abuse, like, other, right. you know, that <laughs> just for our own psyches to function, we need to think that we're, like, doing something to a thing. Yeah, you know, right. this isn't, this isn't bad, this right. isn't evil, I'm not an evil person, I'm just, you know, it reminds me of um you said somewhere that how we treat the earth is how we treat women and people of color and i feel like the connection is very much in that in that um our objectification of whether it is people of color of of women of um, people with disabilities or the planet itself Mm -hmm. the creatures around us um that's it's that it's that worldview of domination Mm. that that is at the core of all of those objectifications and mm. it's not saying you know that deforestation is as bad as um or that you know slavery human slavery is as bad as deforestation or whatever i'm not saying that there's a certain sure. level of what's worse i'm saying that at the core of all of these issues that we are facing that we're, that the veil is being torn on so many levels in our culture right now to mm. see where we've been um, in out of alignment of relationship in so many levels. At the core of that is this, this worldview of domination. Mm. And it's this, you know, that a certain small segment of the, of the human society decides they are the important ones and everyone else is there to serve them. Mm-hmm. And it's been part of human culture forever. <laughs> And it's something that I think is really needing, it has to dissolve, you know, for, a, for, for, the, for war that is, that is happening right now, for deforestation that's happening, for, you know, the way that we are, um, you know, the way that we do agriculture that, that, that ruins the soil, you know, like mm-hmm. there's just so many, every, all the levels are being um, looked at now or, or there's a fierceness in defending the the way where you know because we don't want to give up that domination, and, or that dominant uh, because it means we have to give up some of our privileges that were never ours in the first place. You know, yeah. it's like these are not these are privileges un unfairly taken, unrightly taken, like violently taken even, and so surrendering privileges does hurt. It doesn't feel good. You know, there's a lot more that's coming. Yes. <laughs> that, that, and I'm I'm as guilty as anybody. You know, I still drive a car. I live inside of a 
you know, it's like I live in a culture that um, is based on this kind of um, non-reciprocity. <laughs> you know, mm. it's the opposite of what uh, more earth-based peoples, indigenous peoples, throughout all of history, not, not just in North America right now, but if you go back far enough in all of our ancestries, there were people who were very deeply connected with the land and, and they understood that their place in that, that they play a very, that we as humans play a very important role in the, in the functioning of the system. You know, it's a lot of people say, you know, if humans were gone, then the rest of the world will rejoice. Like, I'm not sure that's true. Mm. You know, I think we play an important role. We just have forgotten it and we just are not, not playing our part. We're not, uh, we're bullies right now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but bullies can be, you know, that's, that's where I don't give up. Bullies can, can be a uh, turn. <laughs> Their hearts, we have, we also have this deep capacity to love. And, um, I just read something this week that makes me so happy. It was somebody wrote a report or a study. He looked more deeply into Darwin's work and, you know, how we sort of in our empire culture call it survival of the fittest. It's very competitive. It's very much, you know, uh, dog eat dog, that kind of idea. But that's not what he was trying to say. What this report is saying, it's, it's really what he was saying is the survival of the kindest. I love that so much. It's like mm. what you're seeing in Kiev right now is how they are, people are banding together. They're taking care of each other. You know, they're, they're not being taken over as quickly as the, as the Russian troops thought, or the Russian leaders at least thought. I'm not sure the troops thought anything. Um, because we have this deep human capacity to band together in community and to care for one another. And we're all here because our ancestors cared for one another and made sure we, our ancestors survived. Mm. So like this kindred uh, connection is the way life works. It's not a religious idea, although every religion, including my own, is based, you know, Jesus said himself, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is, you know, midrash from that. Mm. It's the and who is our neighbor? Like the whole thing is about who's our neighbor. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than our than our church. It's bigger than our family. It's bigger than our people that look like us. It's bigger than our species. It's it's the whole living system. Mm. That reciprocity and connection that we have with with this whole system, with our community, with um, kind of the the kindred creatures around us. Um, it makes me think of, well, I remember you saying once that you want to help people not just take care of the earth, but fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. And part of falling in love is recognizing that there is a reciprocity, that it's yeah. not just like, it's not necessarily a parental love, you know, where it's like, right. I'm here to be a custodian and make sure that you survive. It's like, no, no, we're, we're here. We're peers together, yeah. which the other thing that came to mind is kind of that um, the tendency to be this like white messiah in mission work, right? You know, totally. and how it's like I'm here to help you, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and just how like people often go on like mission trips or whatever, being very well intentioned, but 
not recognizing how much damage that can cause when mm -hmm. it's like clearly i am the one in power here and let me like deign to offer you some assistance instead of having that peer-to-peer -peer, like we're we're all in this together like mm -hmm. it's right. who's to say that like you know in 10 years or even just <laughs> you know by some stroke of fate that i wouldn't be in your exact position um exactly yeah yeah, and that's, and I've even said sort of in my work in the church, you know, 40 years ago, I was uh, worked with World Vision and, and my project was to help people move from that dominion theology into stewardship theology, mm. you know, that we are here to care for the other. Now, it's more like to move from stewardship, which is that one up kind of thing into relationship, mm. you know, into actual that like you said sacred reciprocity relationship and falling in love is absolutely like it's robin Wellkimmer again talks about this and i experienced it for myself like moving from oh i love you know for me i fell in love with these deer that live in in the neighborhood and and my son was the one to say you know after a while when they kept coming to my house and the mama would bring the mamas still will bring the babies here to sort of I watch over them while they go grazing and then they'll come back and um and my son's and I, and I was like oh well, I need to give them a little treat you know I have apples for when it's not apple season we have some apple trees on the yard and I'll give them I'll cut up the little apples and give them the apples and my son said one day you know like how do you know they're not just coming to see you hmm. and I was like oh right this is a relationship that's two-way you know I'll come and they'll just lay outside of my window. And it's not about, you know, getting the apples or just they feel safe there. They like looking in the window at me. I like looking in the window at them. I'll go outside, you know, and just kind of talk to them. And I feel that their presence is a, is a gift to me. Um, but yes, seeing, seeing that this tree cares that I pay attention to her, you know, mm. Yes. It's, it, it, it's, that's one of that unlearning, you know, it's like, Ooh, here's an unlearning is, is this fear of anthropomorphizing, mm -hmm. always, you know, it's this fear of saying, well, I don't know how that deer feels. Well, yeah, it's true, but you don't know how your spouse feels. Really? You don't know how your child feels. You think you do, right. but you're not right. You know, all you can do is enter into relationship and listen. And so it's an invitation in that falling in love to listen, mm -hmm. to pay attention. And listening is a contemplative practice. Mm -hmm. And so like there's an animal communicator I love, Anna Brainbeck. She's in um, Breitenbeck. She's in South Africa and works with the sanctuaries there with animals that are mm -hmm. you know, rescued from poaching and, and whatnot and beautiful work that she does. And, and I've listened to a whole bunch of podcasts with her because I love her work. There's a, there's a little documentary about her you can find on the internet. Hmm. And, um, and her work is amazing. She's, you know, actually communicates with these, with these animals. And her how-to, she's like, anyone can do this. And basically she's describing precisely centering prayer, precisely contemplative prayer. It is what it is. It's emptying of your own agenda and receiving, receiving from the other you know mm. from and and that the divine is part of that that reciprocity um i i don't know where i was going with that but <laughs> yeah I, it reminds me um 
one of the big ahas for my partner, Brandon, was when he realized not just like the subjectivity of like another tree looking back, but of like the divine experiencing the Mm -hmm. world as that tree or as that deer, like God gets to experience the world as Kelly or as Victoria. Um, I love that. Yeah. And that's such a powerful and kind of mind blowing (laughs) thing to recognize, especially when we get so easily self-centered on just like what's happening in our brains, you know, and living from kind of the neck up. Um, well, and I would add to that, it's, it's the relationality. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, um, you know, God experiencing the world through my eyes, but I think there's something like spiritually real and powerful that is the presence of Christ in that relationality, mm-hmm. in that connection that, uh, that I call conversation that, the gospel of John calls conversation. Um, it's, it's the, it's not that that tree is God. It's that the, the, the presence of Christ is in that tree, that Christ is within that tree and Christ is in within me. And as we connect, as we have conversation, therein lies the presence of Christ. It's mm. in relationship. Like mm-hmm. relationship is at the core of all things, love. God is love. Like, what do we mean by that? Like, it's not just a bumper sticker. Like, it's actual the way life works and the way a river works, the way a forest works, the way, you know, all species work is is the presence of love and care for one another um, in that connectivity, that like action, the action of connectivity is the presence of of Mm. God. Mm hmm. Yeah, so there's another unlearning of um, from sort of like our noun-based culture, mm-hmm. you know, where we need to nounify everything. We need to identify things by their nouns. Uh, that's the way our culture is. That's the way our language is. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, like 70% nouns. But, but more earth-based cultures are 70% verbs. Mm-hmm. And so their whole orientation is around the connections between Mm-hmm. Where our orientation is the things that are being connected. And so our focus is on the things. And so we have a thing-based culture. But those cultures that have, you know, so I think that's some of the unlearning. is like, how do we see the connections between yes. as, as, the, as the, you know, at the, at the very least, the process of resacralizing. Mm-hmm. But it's the way life works. You know, even quantum physicists get that. Yes, yes. It made me think of my my favorite translation of the word namaste is the divine spark in me, you know, bows to or recognizes the divine spark in you. And it's not just like I'm divine and you're divine, but like that exchange, that flow between that conversation, Mm -hmm. like you say, that's, that's where the divine is. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's more of an action. I think just unlearning that noun orientation that creates such, you know, like I remember early in my, in my 20s, mm. I knew, it's like, what was my image of God? I would get stuck on that. And it's mm. like, I know God's not some white guy with a long beard in the sky. I know that, but what is God? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on the nounness of God. And so it made, it made me uncomfortable all the time. I mean, I prayed and I did all the things, but I was always had a little bit of, discomfort you know Hmm. and um and I just kind of went okay God's a mystery 
not very satisfying, but okay. It's a mystery. I don't, you know, it's beyond my way to my ability to know. But now it's not like any of those questions are answered. They're just not, the questions are just like not important. Like it's just like I, God is much more of a, of a verb, much more of a relating, a relationshiping, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a way of being in the world mm. and um, a way of connecting. I get why we want to make God a noun because it's easier to imagine relationship with, with another like that. Mm. But it takes, it, it takes God as like this other thing that's not part of this world. And it's, mm. you know, it's not meant to do that, I don't think, but it, in effect, what, is what happens. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the same as buildings, church buildings that are built generally without windows. And if there are, they're stained glass. <laughs> mm. It's like, it's sort of unintentionally, at least, saying what's holy is in here and out there is not. You know, it doesn't say it explicitly, but you sort of get that idea that this is what's holy, what we're doing in mm. here. And, you know, what damage does that do to our relationship with with everything else out there? You know, the people that live next door, (laughs) Mm. much less the forests that are beyond the the city. Yeah. It's hard when we don't have concrete terms for spiritual things. And I think that's, oh, hi. They are. Is this... (laughs) Wait, is this That's, Mary or was that in your Mary. last place? Oh my gosh. Yes, Mary. Hi, Mary. <laughs> For those of you who aren't watching on video, we just saw the dear Mary right outside Victoria's window. <laughs> That's delightful. <laughs> She's coming to join us. Um, I was Sorry. Ask a separate being, question. That's yes. totally fine. But um, <laughs> I, I kind of want to hear a little bit more about how you met Mary and Marta. Oh, okay. Well, um, this uh let's see so when i moved here i was i had already had about three to five years earlier i guess about three hours earlier when i moved here i had an experience in the rocky mountains in the foothills of the rocky mountains with three days in a row a mule deer doe um in my presence laid down like right in front of me just buckled her front legs and her back legs it was just like this divine moment yeah. And just to kind of, uh, in telling the story, is something I was going to say before about that divine presence in this relationship. You know, it's not just conceptual. Like there's something real about, um, you know, the first day that this happened, actually all three days, it was a different version of um, when I left just sitting there with this these does um, who laid down and I just kind of sat down with them for, you know, half hour, an hour. And when I left, I heard within me that voice that I know now is as the voice of God say, I'm with you always. Mm-hmm. And I knew somehow it wasn't just like this, this external God out there speaking to me. It had something to do with this deer. There was some kind of something involving her that... I was able to hear the voice of God, you know, um, so hard, so, so hard to talk about things like this, but, and then I sort of pursued after that. I like, does this happen all the time? I was looking at forums. I was talking to people that live there and nobody had heard of it. And, um, and every time I'd see a deer, I'd like stop my car. I'm like, Oh, I'm the deer whisperer now, you know, like the deer are going to totally come to me. And, and absolutely that is not what happened. Every time I'd go out to do, you know, intentional 
wild church kinds of things with people. Everybody else would see deer but me and stuff like that. So for three years, I just finally gave up. You know, it's like, all right, I'm trying to make this happen. This is not going to happen. But when I moved into this house, I moved from California up to Washington State. Um, had sort of forgotten about, you know, pursuing that. And uh, But the day I moved into the house, the uh, when I went to return the, the van, the moving van that night, it was dark. And I ran out the front door and almost tripped over a deer, this deer that was lying at the bottom of my stairs. And... Um, just immediately started sobbing like oh my gosh I can't believe this is happening this deer that I've been pursuing for years is now coming to me mm. and um, of course people that live in this neighborhood are like yeah yeah there's deer all over <laughs> but um, a few so that was the fall by the spring you know I'd sort of I didn't really identify particularly with any of them you know they were just like exciting to see deer in my neighborhood but this one particular deer, who I ended up naming Mary, um, she came this one day and was laying down. I was on my front porch, and she laid down right, you know, 15 feet away from me. And um, and I noticed that she was particularly just tired. And, um, and then I noticed that she was, like, licking uh, where she had given birth. And so there was still sort of like placenta goo and, you know, like she was still, she had just had her babies that day somewhere and was coming in my yard to rest. And at, that's when I had this apple that I was eating and I took a slice of the apple and I just walked toward her a little, walked down my stairs and put it out to her. And she got up and came over and took the apple from my hand, from my hand, something she never did again. And, um, but it was just like, oh my gosh, like she's, she's listening to me. She's, mm. you know, and the next day she brought her little newborn fawns into my yard and I got to meet them. And I mean, I was like mind blown. Um, and, uh, yeah. So then the, like a few weeks later, um, one of the fawns didn't make it. And so the, the remaining one, that's when she started bringing that little one here and, that I named Marta. I named her Marta. And she would, you know, just kind of dig in the dirt. She just felt like the little one was excited to come here. She knew exactly where to lay in the garden right outside my window. And um, so I got to know these little ones. And uh, and now I know everybody in the neighborhood. And when there's somebody new, I know them. And um, the other little one, her name, her name is Marley. She's got a broken leg and not doing good. And, mm. So it's just like, these are relationships, you know, what do they mean? I don't know. They mean that, that this is a mama and I'm a mama and we have a relationship in this neighborhood. Like, what does your child mean? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's uh, sometimes we can kind of objectify others as sort of like soul guides or something like that. Like, and we might learn things. We do. We learn things from each other, but it's relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody or at least most people who have any kind of pet have learned those kinds mm -hmm. of things. I, I read something online a few months ago that said something like having a dog is like living with your best friend, but you don't speak the same language. And I That's thought perfect. that was just, yeah, I was like, That's it. You know, That's like perfect. we love each other so much and there's very, but you do clearly... communicate. There's mm -hmm. definitely conversations. They're through touch. They're through a uh, tone. They're through all the things that, that, people that have that speak the same language 
use except for that 7% that's actually words, you know, so even in human communication, only 7% of it, as social scientists have told us, Mm -hmm. is, is the language itself. And so it's really not that much of a stretch, but that's some of that unlearning, that assumption that we, we don't know what that deer is saying, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't, she has a totally different, you know, I, I would chastise her parenting for leaving her little one for so long, you know, my mom would, who was staying with me then, would be like, Vicky, <laughs> they're dear. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yes. So it's so beautiful to be able to be surrounded by such incredible nature. You're, you're up in Washington. I live down in Oregon. And I feel like this area of the country, I mean, you can barely take a step without, <laughs> like, you know, it's... When I first moved here a few years ago, I was like, this is like aggressively verdant. (laughs) It's just like ferns bursting out of every surface. And, you know, it's just very intensely green. But I'm curious what words or suggestions you would have for those who live in the city and don't have this kind of nature just bursting out of every surface or have deer that visit their yard. Right. How do they do this work of reconnecting um, with the sacred world? Yes, absolutely. I think a couple of things. One to just know, to just uh, say something about living up here. There's something about being um, definitely more connected, and I get to see fuzzy little baby fawns. <laughs> but also, I get to see the cougar come in. I get to see the baby fawn being the cougar's dinner. I get to see the fawns with the broken leg. I get to, you know, first time I drove to a place. Uh, east of Portland in Oregon it's looking at a house down there and I had to pull the car over three times to cry mm-hmm. because you can see the deforestation in a way mm-hmm. and you can see the trucks going by with like huge you know trees um, in the back of it and in when I lived in LA you know it's all concrete and you sort of forget and so there's a bit of a um, you know, uh, broken heartedness that, that you also get up here, mm. um, which is actually a gift because life is, life is heartbreaking. Um, but when, you know, when I lived in LA mm. and people that live in very urban areas, um, nature, we are part of nature, first of all. So it's not something, you know, I mean, sure, the more wild you can get, that's not been, uh, domesticated and tamed and um and used as a natural resource by humans um there is there is an immersion of that that is that is like life-changing um but there's spiders in your shower (laughs) there's stars every night there's rain that comes in the in the springtime there's um you know the little the gutters that was what I was looking for before the there's there's the rivers that go down your gutters from you know people uh, watering their lawn the water is the same water that ends up in the ocean you know these uh, even a domesticated uh, garden that you've that you've grown yourself in the backyard is is a connection with with the with the natural world all of this is is part and even just the um, you know going to the LA River that's all concrete and being heartbroken by that and and seeing the little places of rewilding um, that are happening mm-hmm. 
in in little small hidden places you know it's like it's everywhere it's even the the my mom grew up um as a child on lake erie in cleveland when it was like you could throw a match in and it would it would blow up and now lake erie is you know a, a vibrant alive lake again um but even just being close to the the desecration can be a gift of like your grief your tears your 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 um crying groaning with them mm. is a gift um you know just like if you are uh heartbroken and nobody notices like that doesn't feel good mm. it, you know just giving giving the honor of um of love for all others mm. right mm. outside your door you know the dandelion growing in between the cracks kind of thing like it's it's just as much the, a connection with with the alive world as being in the Rocky Mountains or up here mm -hmm. in Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and having the eyes to see. It's mm -hmm. um, yeah, and there's something beautiful about not only having those eyes to see, but in in welcoming nature. Whether you have you know a potted plant in your house, or you know you have room for a garden, or any of those things, um, because it is. I mean, it's fascinating how science has shown, you know, like what a massive impact it has on our bodies, which mm -hmm. to me makes it just abundantly clear how much we're made to be in nature and in union with nature. Um, but it can be difficult. I mean, especially, I don't know if it's in particular for, you know, how I'm made or just the fact that I grew up amidst the fields. If I am in a city for too long, you know, originally I lived in Portland and I, after being there for about eight months, I was like, ah! I can do this anymore you know it's just totally. so <laughs> densely packed and i'm like i i need some more space i need some more green i need um and so it is i feel like for a lot of us such a attention of like i <laughs> my soul feels more alive yeah. when i have space to see like and that's I, real yeah and that's real and that's um the more sort of sensitive you become the more you um now there's more deer here and they're chasing each other. <laughs> um, the more you long for that, mm. you know, just like any contemplative practice, you know, if, mm -hmm. if you have too much noise and, and not enough silence, um, but it's the same thing. I think the more that you are sensitized to the sacred reality, you know, it's like one of the things that was a mind blower for me was that the word for wilderness in Hebrew is uh, uh midbar midbar and that means if you look it up in the lexicon the first definition is the land or the um the organ which speaks mm. the second definition is wilderness mm. and so god's sending every every spiritual leader the whole people of uh, israel into the wilderness um, isn't just like some punishment you know how we've like interpreted it it's like a gift to listen to be immersed before you go into some promised land to be immersed in listening to the sacred speak through mm. the through all of the beings that are that are not domesticated and haven't been tamed um who are who are you know just connected just just let the earth be glad like just let it <laughs> just allow that just be in that presence reconnecting so mm. It's, it's deep in our tradition, and um, so there is something real about kind of like the deeper you go in, in recognizing that, the more you know you need 
you need that space and mm. wherever you make you know create that some people just like have a bunch of plants in their house you know it's just there's something real about that that spiritual journey of yes. reconnection that that you that you need more because you you're being you feel your own soul coming back <laughs> yes yes and i like how you tied that also to the contemplative life because i feel like that's so um such a common experience you know when we get a taste of it and then we hunger for it even more mm -hmm. you know it's the the already but not yet um yeah it's tantalizing and, and you do rearrange your life around a contemplative practice you know mm -hmm. And you do, uh, and you, so you find yourself rearranging your life around um, being in relationship with the natural world and longing for more intimacy, mm -hmm. you know, and longing for more opportunities to connect. And, um, hmm. no and, period. Yes. <laughs> yes. I feel like I could ask probably like 18 more questions, but I should probably wrap it up. Um, this has been really lovely. And I feel like such a beautiful invitation into um, not only into the natural world, but recognizing our place in it, that we are already there, um, a part of it. And if, if people are hungry to learn more about what you do, what you guys are up to, you know, in the Wild Church Network or check out your book, where should they go? Yeah, probably all the links are on my website, which is just victorialures.com, L-O-O-R-Z. Um, and there's links to the Wild Church Network and then the, the Seminary of the Wild and, um, and my book. There's links in there. Or you can look it up online. It's sold, sold where books are sold. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Thank well, you. Th yeah, I so appreciate you joining us today and taking time to share a bit of bit of your journey and the work that you've been doing. And well, it um, was fun to feel the resonance and uh, to go down this little path together. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much.